If you have God's word, I want to invite you this morning. Um, we're we're going to really consider a lot today. And so I invite you just to kind of hang in there. So we go to Luke chapter 20, and we're not looking at it yet. We're going to in just a little bit. But go to Luke chapter 20, and we're going to be looking at verse, uh, verse 9 through 19 uh, eventually in just a, a, a bit. Um, of course, my, my sermon title today, you see that on the bulletin, is, is Top Stories or Breaking Stories, God's Reaction. And I, I think that's a good topic because, you know, there's so much that we could ask God about. I mean, why, you know, obviously, why do bad things happen to good people? And uh, we look at things that happen, you know, uh, to us and, and to hum- humanity, and and we we have questions. And I I even think of my daughter Courtney, my special needs daughter, and I I, I think of that time when I'll be able to sit down with Jesus, <laughs> and I'll be able to ask him some questions. Why, right? And and probably when I get to heaven, there will be such you know perfect you know truth that I'll immediately understand, and it won't matter at that point, and she'll be perfect. But but anyhow, when we talk about these breaking stories, and some of them, they, they do break our hearts, and some of them, they anger us, right? And some of them, we're just scratching our head, and we're saying, I mean, why is this happening in our world today? You know, whether it's on a global level or on a, a national level. In fact, um, about a week ago, we were, we were watching, you know, the report about tornadoes. You know, that we're hitting mid-America, one in Missouri and one in Oklahoma and the flooding that was happening in mid-America. I mean, that was part of the kind of the top stories last week. And then I think it was just Friday on my news app, just Friday or Saturday. I read about another shooting. I think 12 people or 15 people were, were shot. And the week before that, it was like five or seven people that were shot in another shooting. In fact, there's so many shootings now, it's hard to you know keep track of them. And, and I'm scratching my head. I mean, what is going on? Why is all of this happening? And then, of course, the, the, the story that's not breaking because it's so ongoing and it's never ending, the story of collusion and, you know, all of the things that surround that. And probably the most frequently reported on story is immigration and border control. And I mean, we're seeing that circle back around again and again and again in regards to those stories that are breaking stories or top stories. But the one that I want to zero in on today, I mean, the one top story, aside from the scandalous reports and, you know, at the White House or in California or wherever it is across the country, the one story that I want to zero in on is the story about parents who paid gross amounts of money under the table to get their kids accepted into an Ivy League university. How many remember seeing that? It's been in the news. I mean, it's, it's been pretty heavy because it's, it's a report about groups of, of parents. In fact, these are Fortune 500, Hollywood-type you know, people, CEO-type people, people that have gross amounts of money that pay these gross amounts of, of, of lump sums to people in regards to bribery, really, to get their children into these Ivy League schools. And it's very serious stuff, and what we're hearing is that there will probably be prison time for these parents. Probably the reason it was such a big story, one reason would be because it involved two actresses. One was a Hallmark actress, is a Hallmark actress, another one a TV actress. I don't want to say their names. That probably wouldn't be Christian to perpetuate and, and uh, hurt their reputation anymore. But the fact is, allegedly these wealthy parents... Parents have broke the law, they've lied, and they've taken the easier road or have taken the, the elitist's road. So let me state the obvious in, in regards to the problem. Here's the problem. 
The concept here is the idea of taking advantage of somebody who is weaker than us or unaware or less fortunate because they have less money. This is the crux of the story. For every student that has received a free pass, they've been accepted in the Ivy League school because of a bribery. There is another student that worked hard all of their adolescent life. There is a, another student that has you know, jumped through the hoops and they paid their dues and they have not been accepted. And they've been pushed out because because of because of the action of these parents that paid these bribes. And so what we recognize here, really breaking it down in its most basic form, is is this is the strong that is preying on the weak. That is the problem of the bribery. In fact, in Exodus chapter 23, verse 8, and I think we have it on the screen there for you, we read, you shall not take a bribe. You shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just. There in the NIV, do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twist the words of the innocent. And then we go to another passage in Deuteronomy chapter 27. Let's look at that. In verse 25, it kind of puts a little bit sharper point on it in regards to God's reaction in this breaking story. Is cursed as anyone who accepts a bribe to kill an innocent person, then all the people shall say, Amen. But notice the very beginning, you say, what is God's reaction to this breaking story? Well, the reaction is, cursed is he who accepts the bribe. And who does the bribe affect? It affects the innocent person. So what is God's reaction? I mean, to this type of behavior, it is that it is his response, and not only cursed is he, but it is the response that this is corruption. In fact, let's go to now go to Luke chapter 20, looking at verse 19 or 9 through 19, beginning at verse 9 through 19. And we're going to read about the parable of the tenants. And really, the idea here in this passage, you know, obviously encapsulates, you know, the message of the gospel of of Christ that God, of course, our creator, father in heaven, you know, has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to us. And so, again, this is kind of a story of that gospel, but also it is it is something about the strong taking advantage of the weak. Listen, as we read together, beginning at verse nine, he went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty handed. And notice it says tenants. It's plural. So in other words, there's a group of individuals, not just one tenant, but obviously is the many ganging up on the one. So we're talking about the strong, you know, taking advantage or preying on the weak when we read about the tenants that did this this terrible thing. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty handed. He sent still a third and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, well, shall I do? I will send my son. Yeah, I'll send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. And so they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, I think what's interesting about the text before we continue on here is the fact that it tells us something about uh, God's part. We know that this is, again, it's the gospel encapsulated in the story. But also this tells us something about man's part. 
It tells us something about man's response in regards, you know, to the rejection of, of, of the Messiah, the rejection of the Savior. For if this is, again, the encapsulated gospel of God, that God has become flesh and he sends a son to us. And we have rejected him, and we'll kind of refer to that later on in the text. And it is saying something about society and mankind and our rejection of God. In fact, that is the path of human secularism versus a a biblical worldview. We're talking about a secular worldview. And the path of the secular worldview is this. We kill religion first. You see, this is the path. We kill religion. That's the first step. The second step in society is that we kill God. And then the third step is what? We make ourselves God. You see, that's the root of human secularism. And and we see that this is really the path that God is mentioning, not only in regards to his response to us in becoming flesh and sending us his his son, our savior. But we, we see our response to God. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. God forbid. It seems like we always have the right response, Christian. You know, we hear truth and we go, oh yeah, amen. Or God forbid. It seems like our response is always the right response. But I mean, how well do we really follow through? And then look at verse 17. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, the idea of the cornerstone is that is the keystone. It is the foundation stone. It is the stone that the, the structure is built upon. In fact, in, in some places, like in state government or maybe even federal government, they inscribe a message on the cornerstone of the building. And the message that is engraved, I mean literally engraved on the stone, it, it communicates the spirit in which that structure has been built. And you remove that stone in some situations. It is the foundational stone. It is like the capstone. You remove that stone and all comes falling down. And not always, but there is this cornerstone that the message has been inscribed upon and then we read later on here down in the next few verses that if we mess with the message if we mess with what has been inscribed on the cornerstone then there are some things that are not going to go right in life and we see that here as we read the next part of this passage Jesus looked directly at them and asked what then is the meaning of that which is written and then below that I'm sorry below that um Verse 18, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. In in other words, there is this danger of changing the message that we read here in Scripture. So what is the situation? What Jesus is raising and, and presenting to our attention here this morning, it's twofold. The first thing is, is the prophetic knowledge of how he was going to be treated, betrayed and crucified, and also his resurrection and glorification where he sits at the right hand of the Father. So what we're really looking at, again, an encapsulated view of the gospel of Christ. So it's God's divine and redeeming plan for mankind. Amen. But the second thing that we notice is the problem that mankind has been haunted by from the very beginning. And and it's something that we have wrestled with from the very start. And that is corruption. I mean, what what is God's reaction to this breaking story? 
Because the breaking story, it's about bribery, it's about, about corruption, and corruption has been a part of mankind from the very beginning, whether it was Cain slaying his brother Abel, or Judas Iscariot's betrayal of Christ for 30 pieces of silver. It is corruption, whether it's corruption in the streets of Chicago or, or whether it's in the penthouse of, of, of New York. It's corruption and it's sin that, that, that invades mankind. And, and, and yet when we come to this passage, we are reminded that the message for Christians, it is a message that we are cornerstones. That we are cornerstones, Christians, that we have a message that is inscribed upon our hearts. We have a message that we have been imprinted with. And that message is that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. Amen. And if Jesus Christ is Lord, I mean, especially if Jesus Christ is Lord of our life, what are we saying about our Lord if corruption invades our life? If Jesus Christ is Lord, what are we saying if we push aside the innocent and we're not concerned with those that are in the margins and we have no care about those that are being socially and unjustly, you know, uh, uh, dealt with in our society and we're not really, you know, affecting and, and making a difference there. What are we saying when we say that Jesus Christ is Lord if we're putting ourselves before others and we're more concerned about Snapchat or our profile picture click? than we are about people being treated unjustly or are not being loved or not being cared for. I mean, what are we saying when we say that Jesus Christ is Lord and we're ignoring the greater good in our world? What are we saying when we say that Jesus Christ is Lord and we're not even dealing with our own personal integrity? And we're saying that Jesus Christ is Lord. You may say, well, hey, corruption happens only on a grander scale, on a bigger scale, like, you know, you know, in, in D.C. Well, what I want us to notice is that, that that corruption, it begins in a very personal and intimate way. And, 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 and it is as personal and unique as our thumbprint. And you say, well, I mean, little old me, does, do I make a difference? Well, corruption, spiritual corruption begins to worm its way into our life and sometimes it's slow and, and methodical and sometimes it's very insidious and, and, and all of a sudden we realize there's something that used to be right is no longer right and now it is wrong. I can imagine the, the parents of, of those that were a part of this, this whole bribery sting, you know, saying to somebody else, hey, everybody does it. Or, or maybe, you know, thinking what good is having money if we cannot benefit from it or whatever excuse we need to tell ourselves because sin slips into our lives very slowly. It takes hold and it roots like a great big old oak tree and those roots run deep because it's been left undealt with in, 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 and it's called corruption. It's called sin and God is wanting us to deal with the sin in our lives. I know that's tough. I know it's harsh. But God wants us to deal with it before it's too late. Corruption is a reality. I, I want to share with you a devotion. Um, just just a recap of a devotion that I had put in this little book I published a, a few months ago. And um, it, it just kind of puts a point on the idea of what what life is like when corruption takes hold or takes root. And, and the title of the devotion is called The Ugliness of Sin. Carl Zimmer, a popular science writer specializing in parasites, tells of entering a hospital in Tambura in 1996 and seeing something that caused his insides to do a backflip. Now, this is pretty graphic, so hang in there. There were many patients grouped according to their sicknesses. 
Many had things like malaria, sleeping sickness, and other diseases that a poor country struggles with. The group that caught his eye the most was the neat row of patients who had a stick attached to a string coming out of their leg. But it was not a string. It was an animal. Its official name is Draculinicolus metanesis. It is commonly known as the guinea worm, measuring up to four feet long. By consuming water fleas, the embryo of the worm is carried into the victim's intestines and then drills its way out, crawling into the abdominal blood vessels. Come to find out, this creature produces morphine, so the patient does not feel what is happening until the head pokes out through a blister on the leg. The nurse then slowly wraps the worm around the stick for about a two-week period. Imagine that. Fortunately, this problem for humans has been overcome. Records show that the Egyptians struggled with this same issue over 2,000 years ago. This internal threat, though graphic, is kind of like human nature and the ugliness of sin. The correlation is in the morphine these creatures produce. Numbness covers up the real problem, and the invasion continues. Sin is also an internal destructive presence, slowly numbing our conscience, guilt, or any kind of conviction. The spiritual anomaly is how we watch our own destruction, trajectory we would have our own destruction, a life of chaos without purpose, a trajectory would not only we would not have been okay with in past times. The passive rejection of truth is the most insidious thing in the world. Proverbs sixteen twenty five reads There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. The stark reality of truth is that we all need to hear sometimes, O oh Lord, let the fire of revival begin in me. I think this adequately gives us a picture, you know, of how sometimes slowly, you know, corruption seeps into our own life. Again, we say the word corruption. We think that that's something that only happens on a, a greater or, or, or bigger scale. Unless maybe, you know, we're telling a little white lie. In fact, we're telling it so often that it grows and soon it becomes a narrative and it's a full-blown dishonest statement because we've told it so many times and it begins to be stretched in this thing that, that we didn't intend it to be. And pretty soon we're, we're, we're telling this thing or we're given this, this, this what we are, you know, acting like is truth and, and it's not. Or maybe it's omitting the entire truth as we are telling a story while convincing a checker or a teller to give us what we want. You know, we're trying to get our money back. And so, you know, we're omitting, you know, it's not that we're lying, but we're just not giving all of the truth. Right. And so we 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 do what we do so we can get our way rather than really being people of integrity. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering, since our finances tell us so much about a person What do our finances say about us? Does our tithing show that we love God or does it show that our faith in God's provision is weak? You see, God's reaction to this particular story is not one of a divine being that's waggling his finger and saying, no, no, no. But I I believe God's reaction to the story and, and corruption of man and even corruption as it slowly and seriously seeps into our own life. It is a God that is a loving God, a God that is breaking and he is crying and he's concerned about what's happening to us as we become distant from him and we no longer hear his voice. Because of what used to be 
not okay, we now accept as okay. I was watching a show. I've been watching a show on TV, and, and I said to my wife the other day, <clears throat> I said, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to watch that show anymore. And my wife, she said, well, would you watch it with Jesus? <laughs> and I said, uh, no, I probably wouldn't watch that show with Jesus. And we accept things that used to not be okay as being okay. And we become numb and we fail to hear the voice of God when God is trying to speak and God is trying to say, I've called you to be a holy people. I've called you to be a righteous people. I, uh, about a, a year and a half ago, I was invited to go to a golf tournament, a golf scramble with some some uh, district superintendents, you know, and some kind of their leadership type people, district superintendents. And and uh, I think there was only one other pastor and he was actually on my team and it was a golf tournament. And so I had the, the district superintendent of Southern California with me on my team and uh, I think another DS and then this guy named Chris that was a Nazarene pastor and myself. So we were the only two pastors and I think there was probably 50 district superintendents, a couple general superintendents and we're having this big golf scramble. And they had called and said, they're short a couple guys, will you come play? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come play. And I, I felt a little intimidated. I didn't want to, you know, um, I didn't want to. Really, I just wanted to be a wallflower, you know, just kind of be quiet and sit in the background and, and, uh, you know, cause I felt a little bit out of place. But anyhow, um, that did not work very well because, um, our team not only won first place, but I hit the very first hole in one in my entire life. Uh, <laughs> And, and of course, in that whole group of 50 some people, none of them ever hit a hole in one. And the, the club there, it was the crossings, uh, there in Carlsbad, the crossings golf course. And the, the club, the golf club place or the, the clubhouse made a big deal about it and they made a plaque. And I got a plaque in my office at home, hole in one. But anyhow, um, I'll never forget the experience. We were on about a 160 yard par three hole. Beautiful. The Crossings Golf Course, it's built amongst the hills, and so it's just spectacular, and it's green, and, and uh, I'm at the tee, and I think maybe one or two guys had already taken their shot, and it was my turn to take my shot. And I looked up there, 160 yards away. I mean, that's quite a ways away, not too far. It's a long par three. And I look up there, and the green has an undulation on it, like this. And so you have green, and then it kind of undulates like this. And the hole was placed behind that undulation, so you couldn't see it. And then the back of the green kind of sloped up. It literally sloped up a hill like that. And so I said, the fun thing about this is I called it. You know, and I said, okay, I'm going to hit to the right of the green. It's going to roll across the back of the green, up the hill. It's going to roll back there and drop in the hole. So I just called it being silly. And so I swung my club. I hit the ball. And, of course, it it hits the green, rolls up on the back of the green there, and rolls behind the undulation. And I couldn't see anything. I didn't know what happened. But it it obviously rolled in the hole. So anyhow, uh, first two guys took off in their golf cart. They got up there on the green. And uh, the one guy, Chris, he looks in the hole. I'm still back here on the fairway. I cannot see yet. And Chris, he says, it's in the hole like this. And he threw his arms in the air and he was yelling at me saying, it's in the hole. 
And I couldn't verify it. I could not see it yet. But man, when his voice sounded and I heard his voice and he said, it's in the hole. Man, I can't tell you. It was like a shockwave that went through me of, I don't know, celebration or happiness or, or victory or whatever, however you want to describe it. But man, when he said, it's in the hole, that voice, there was something that came alive in me because I heard his voice. And I think we've forgotten that sometimes, you know, God speaks that way. And yes, God, he holds us accountable. And and yes, sometimes there's rebuking with the voice of God. But sometimes there's also victory and celebration with the voice of God. And we forget how to hear God's voice. And I'm wondering if God is trying to speak to us about something. and, And maybe it's something that is corrupting our lives. And we're accepting what used to not be acceptable. And I don't know what on personal, what personal level that God is speaking to you on, but I know this, that God wants to speak. If you'll hear his voice, he wants to speak. I believe that church. If we take time and say, Lord, I want to hear your voice. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Precious father in heaven, we love you this morning. We thank you, God, for speaking and, and Lord, in the loud ways that you do. And sometimes it is a holler. And you're screaming, it's in the hole. This is my will. But sometimes it's in the quiet, whispering voice of your spirit that you are speaking to us. And you're trying to get our attention. And, Lord, you're, you're trying to protect us. And we know that. And so, Father in heaven, I just pray that this morning for that one person, that one individual, that they, they would renew their commitment to hearing your voice. That we would respond to your voice and to your message and we'd respond to your words. And that, Father in heaven, that if there is corruption that has seeped into our life, that, Lord, that we would be reminded of it. And, and that you would point it out right now. And that, Lord, that you would help us right that wrong. And, Lord, sometimes to change behavior, it, it takes a whole bunch. It takes a lot. And it's hard. But, Lord, we can do it with you. I know that. I know that, Lord, that you are speaking. And I pray for that one right now that's hearing your voice. That, Lord Jesus, you would just give them the strength right now to say, Lord, I hear your voice. I want to respond to you. God, I want to be obedient to you. Lord, I want to deal with this corruption in my own life. Help me hear your voice, Lord. Help me be obedient, God, to you right now. And I pray, Father, for, Lord, that individual that that you're speaking to. That one individual right now, they know that, Lord, that that you are saying something to them. Lord, I pray for them right now, Lord, that you would just give them the strength to say, Lord, I hear your voice. I'm going to respond. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to begin the hard work. I'm going to deal with this that's in my life right now that does not belong because it is corrupt in me. Our heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody looking around and you're saying, Pastor, the Lord is speaking to me. I hear his voice and I want to be obedient to his voice. Is the Lord speaking to you that way? Are you hearing his voice right now saying, Lord, I want to be obedient. I hear your voice. I want to deal with this. In my life right now, Lord, that you're speaking to me about. If God is speaking to you, just lift your hand up just for a moment. Just lift your hand up. God is speaking to you. Saying, Lord, just between you and God, nobody else. Saying, Lord, I hear your voice. I want to deal with this. 
God bless you. God bless you. I want to deal with this. You know what the corruption is. You know what I'm wrestling with. You know what, Lord, is tempting me. You know what is setting me back. You know what's getting between me and you. So, Father in heaven, I ask right now, Lord, that you'd give me the strength to respond to what you're saying to me this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody else, just lift your hand and say, Lord, I hear your voice. I want to respond to you, God. I want to be faithful to you, God. I want to be obedient to you, God. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for hearing our voice today. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us this morning that you might be glorified, that you might be lifted up. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen.